Hey there, it's your host, Will Payne Harrison. I wanted to talk to you today about my Patreon page, patreon.com slash Harrison. This podcast is a free podcast, and I'm glad that you're enjoying it. Uh, thank you so much for the kind uh, words, the ratings. Thank you for subscribing and sharing with your friends. All those things mean a lot. This is a free podcast, and by no means are you obligated to give me any money at all. However, if you like what you hear and you want to support what's what's going on, uh, all of the man hours that go into the editing, into uh, actually paying to have a host site for this uh, platform, all these things uh, are done just because I love talking to these songwriters and I love getting that information out to you so you can hear about their new projects and uh, what's going on in the world of songwriting in Nashville and Louisiana and Kentucky. Um, and I really, really am a fan of all these people, and I hope that you become a fan as well. If you'd like to help continue to make this a viable thing, then uh, consider donating today to my uh, Patreon page, patreon.com slash Harrison. All right, here we go. Hey everyone, welcome to the Americana Station podcast. Today on the podcast we have Mercy Bell, and I'm really excited to tell you about her new record that is self-titled, Mercy Bell. But uh, first I want to tell you a couple of things. Um, I have been working with AmericanaHighways.org, and I have a new playlist out with them. Uh, it's called The Back Roads Playlist, and uh, you can find it on my Spotify page. It's uh, currently the featured uh, playlist there, uh, which is just Will Payne Harrison, um, or if you go to the Americana Highways Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, it's also, uh, you can check it out there. They've been posting about it as well. It's a lot of great artists that have been on the podcast, artists that I hope to have on the podcast, and uh, some uh, some bigger names as well up there. These are uh, basically I'm taking all the new releases that are coming out and uh, picking some of my favorite songs as well as uh, some other um, classic Americana songs and uh, maybe some people that uh, aren't on the Americana Highways uh, radar but are on mine. Uh, such as Mercy Bell. She was on it last month. And um, we've got a lot of great artists on it this month, and we'll be doing it again every single month. So you'll get some of the newest, freshest Americana around. That's the Backroads playlist, uh, and it's on my Spotify page. So if you already follow me, you can just go uh, click Will Payne Harrison, and uh, it's right there. If you don't follow me, go ahead and follow me. Also, um, two weeks ago, if you haven't heard... I was hacked on Facebook as well as Gmail and Instagram. Fortunately, um, because if you do follow me on Instagram, you know I love my Instagram so much, especially my stories. I quickly changed the password on that Instagram account and uh, instantly the hacker got me uh, disabled and deleted by Facebook uh, and my Americana station Instagram was deleted as well. Um, so my artist page will Payne harrison the americana station page on facebook my instagram page all of that my personal page were all deleted so i had to i've, I've had to start from scratch i had over uh, 2000 likes on will Payne harrison and uh, i think we had we well over 500 likes on the americana station page 
Um, I haven't launched the Americana Station page as of this moment. Uh, I hope to do that in the next couple of weeks. We'll just start from scratch. Um, but in the meantime, um, if you'd be so kind as to go like the Will Payne Harrison page, it's facebook.com slash the, T-H-E, Will Payne Harrison. You can also visit soundcloud.com slash Americana Station. You can look up Americana Station on iTunes as well as Stitcher. And go ahead and follow that uh, rate and like those things. Maybe leave a little comment if you would prefer to. Those are intact and uh, available to be used. And uh, we're not affected in the great hack of 2019. I did sit on this for two weeks for a reason. Um, I think that social media is a little out of hand. And I don't love Facebook. Uh, And so I contemplated not getting back on Facebook. I don't think it's that important. Uh, if you really want to see what's up with me, you can go to willpainharrison.com. You know, I have my Instagram. I have a Twitter. Do I really need a Facebook? It's just a time suck, right? Well, then I was going to drop this podcast episode, and I realized that uh, there's a whole demographic of people that are not on these other platforms that I needed to reach so that they could hear this podcast. So against my better judgment, I um, I got a new Facebook for my artist page, Will Payne Harrison. And um, I'm going to work on this week putting up the Americana Station one as well. So we will have it all back eventually. So be looking for that when you're listening to this. Probably by the time you're listening to this, I will have gone ahead and put the Americana Station podcast facebook back out there in the world so uh go like my uh pages and uh we'll get that information out to you um and uh without further ado we're going to talk a little bit about mercy bell mercy bell was raised in california and new england She lived in New York City and Arkansas before finally settling in Nashville. With comparisons to Linda Ronstadt, Patty Griffin, Ginny Lewis, the Dixie Chicks, Brandi Carlile, and Sheryl Crow, Bell's sound is deeply influenced by traditional roots music, folk, and country western songs, as well as pop. Bell credits her obsession with top 40 hitmaker Max Martin for learning how to write a song, which she talks a little bit about in this episode. As an openly queer Filipino-American woman who has lived all over the United States and grapples with the hard truths of life, Bell offers a fresh and dynamic approach to folk and pop music. Mercy's new record has been acclaimed by Rolling Stone Country, NPR, the Nashville scene, amongst others. If you haven't had a chance yet to listen to her new record, I strongly recommend that you do. Without further ado, let's talk to Mercy Bell about her new record and recording experience. Hey everyone, today on the program we have Mercy Bell. Uh, Mercy is about to drop a new record. What's it called? It's going to be self-titled actually, Mercy Bell. Yeah, that's great. You only get one. so It might as well be this one. This is the one. Yeah. 
Um, and you also have uh, your producer. Uh, yep. Trace Faulkner you. over here. Hello out there. So he was telling me earlier that you recorded it at the bomb shelter. Yep. And uh, now it's being mixed currently. Well, by the time this comes out, it will have been mixed. Yes. Um, so how was the studio for you? Um, you know, it was, I did not enjoy, uh, like in the past throughout, like, okay, like that's a, not a great, <laughs> I, I just woke up. So <laughs> no, 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 no. I was going to say that throughout my life, I did not have not enjoyed recording. And so this yeah. is the first time I've really enjoyed it. So it was a lot of fun. It was the first, I went into it being like, oh gosh, I don't want to like record. I like writing songs and I like sometimes performing them, but recording has always been a pain in the ass for me. And it's stressful because I don't know what's happening. Like, And then it's just like very stressful for me to not know what's happening and have to like go into it. Like it just stresses me out and it's expensive. But this time, like, it are was, you a planner? Is that, I like to, I like to know, I, I planning is like, I like to have like 17 plans and make sure like one of them happens basically. Right. So like I don't get anally retentive, like about one plan in particular, but it has to like, there has to be one plan of action. Cause like, otherwise you just waste a lot of money and I don't have money. So it's right. like, and throughout my life, like whenever I've been like recording or whatever, a lot of people would be like, I know what I'm doing. And then you show up and they don't know what they're doing. So it's like, this is the first time I've ever been like, well, I'm going to kind of like learn what's happening so that I'm not just completely in the dark. And some people love to be in the dark. I don't like being in the dark. So this was fun. Like I had a great time and it totally like, reintroduced me to the recording process which isn't to say that like I haven't worked with great people in the past but it just was not I was so out of my league and it just didn't it just very disorienting when you don't know what's going on so this time was really cool because I got to like we did it really slowly it took like a year to do it on and off so like I could in between a weekend I could go learn about things I could like really figure out is that what we wanted to do is that so it's like it was very helpful to have a lot of time in between so uh and the bomb shelter like crew is just like very homey it's just very like did you have the same band for the whole project yeah yeah it? we just okay. used my band plus uh, like extra session players and friends and stuff they're always just friends who are really really incredible so um but yeah we also used the same engineer drew carroll and it was uh, it was just really fun. It's a great place. It was really sad the last day that we were there. Like, I guess this is the last day. Yeah. This is sad. But Trace knows more about like actual studio stuff. So I'll let him have a moment. <laughs> oh, I mean, I'm kind of with mercy. I, I love the bomb shelter. I love drew. Um, he is, he's just easy to work with. His musical knowledge too is were, were y'all arranging in the studio or was there already pre-production done before you got to the studio? A little bit of both, I would say. Yeah. Like Mercy said, we kind of, you go in and you go, you say like, here's the bullet points we definitely want to hit. Right. But also you need to take the time to when things arrive uh, naturally to follow those, you know? Um, so it's, you know, it's a little bit of both. Um, and like I said, at the bomb shelter, Drew especially just, he like, he's like an encyclopedia of just music. You know, you bring up something yeah. that you think only you grew up with, like a little, a, a B side of a seven inch. And he knows exactly what you're talking about. And then dials in that sound and like gets the amp or gets the guitar, or the, the keyboard or whatever you need. 
Um, I have one friend like that. Um, and every time he does that, it just, it blows my mind. I'm like, yeah, there's like this Neil Young song from like on a beach or whatever. Like one of those records where there's just like really cool, like backwards guitar. And he's like, oh yeah, this. And he flips like three switches and you're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> How do you already know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I noticed you had shaky up there, which I think is my favorite Neil Young biography. Oh, um, nice. It took me, I remember when I got it, 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 a little under nine months to read it. Just cause I'm a super slow reader and I'd put it down, but I remember the day of finishing it just being like, I felt so accomplished. <laughs> I still want to get the, uh, the Bruce Springsteen one, the one that he wrote a few out. years ago. Yeah. <laughs> it just came out like four, <laughs> four years ago. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, did you do any, uh, co-writing on this record or was this all original Mercy Bell? songwriting so we're redoing three songs so those are from the last album but they're like gr- they've grown up so those are me i would say that like a 10 songs we redid three songs right two songs Tabloids, black dress. just two songs okay my brain is not on yeah 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 so i think hold on let me you do this the other way around there's 10 songs on the album trace co-wrote a couple of them like bent no not bent no prayer see i've just woke up so you're gonna have to you're gonna have to edit that edit this so that people aren't confused i'll take credit for bent um um you heard it here first now you got to give him i think ascap it's already submitted on ascap as myself i submit everything instantaneously on ascap because i'm like that i'm like uh yeah no we covered a couple songs we have a pop song that has like four writers it's like me and Trace and our drummer Abby and my friend Megan McCormick. And then No Prayer is me and Trace. And then I can't even think of like the full album right now. But there's a few co-writes on there. And then a lot of the rest is just me. I have been co-writing more and more. I like it. Um, but for me to get like so into a song that I like am willing to put it on a record, it, it just like takes a lot. I have to like wake up with it in my head for like five days in a row. Yeah. For like three months to be like, okay, I'll let the, I'll let the public listen to this. So you're but, you moved here recently in the last few years, right? Where did uh, you move 2012. from? Twenty twelve. Okay. Twenty twelve. Yeah. So not recently. Yeah. Same time as Trace. Yeah. Um, um, where did you move from? From Brooklyn. Brooklyn. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, I thought it was New York, but I wasn't yeah. sure. So the scene there is not really into co-writing as much. Right? Not. I'll speak from my own experience and yeah. not like as a statement or blanket fact, but I have noticed that amongst my friends from New York, when they're like, I can co-write with somebody that's wild. Like it's, it seems novel to them. Right. And it was novel to me when I first moved here. It honestly felt very like, uh, uh like, liberating on some level because when you're just like i have to write all these songs by myself that's really obnoxious not that i don't like writing songs but like you get tired of your own brain sometimes or i do at least yeah, and so when the i roadblocks you put yeah and like when you can be like i can give a song that's like 50 to 60 percent done and give it to somebody or whatever and they can like freshen it up or give it like the zhuzh that it needs like that's great so, I mean, I don't really know what the culture is like in New York songwriting, but I know amongst my friends, it is often very like, oh, you can co-write with somebody? That's wild. And then they come to Nashville and they're just co-writing with everybody. So it's like, yeah. That was never a thought 
when I, I'm from Louisiana uh-huh. and that was never a thought like, oh, I'm going to co-write with someone. Mm-hmm. It was just like, like maybe someone's jamming on the song and giving you a pointer here and there every now and then. But yeah. like it was your song and you wrote the song. Like yeah. I, it was never like intentionally like, let's go write a song together. Yeah. And I find it, it's just like human beings have such a weird way of compartmentalizing stuff like or whatever the word is like because bands co-write songs all the time and then all of a sudden the minute like i used to work for sony atv where we would like pay royalties to people so you're like looking at the splits every band that everybody adores like all those songs are split between the bandmates so i don't see how it's really a different just people just play mental gymnastics in their head yeah yeah trace i mean i was just gonna just back you up just like i think it's sort of like when you first eat salt and vinegar potato chips <laughs> and you, you see the bag and you see everyone eating. Oh, like, not for it, me. Yeah, you're like, not for me. There's no damn way. Yeah. <laughs> and you eat that first one. You go, well, that wasn't that bad. And then you finished out the bag yeah. is the next thing you know. You know, it's like it's because I had the same experience coming from Austin where I would write with bands I was in. Yeah. Uh, but just hooking up with someone to only write mm-hmm. and there's no telling what's going to come out with the song after that is kind of, I think it's very special not maybe only to Nashville, but is very, very unique to Nashville in some ways. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely been, I've been here since 2014 and it's definitely been something that, uh, I feel like it sharpens you a lot too, because you're not always, when you co-write a song, you're not always going to use it because there's a lot of times I've co-written songs where I'm like, this just isn't my voice. This is a great song for someone else, but this isn't my voice. But I think that, uh, it definitely has sharpened me because it, it, next time you go and write a song you might be like oh i remember last time this guy did this thing that's a great idea to put in this song you know and it just helps you kind of um move in different directions and and have a more extended vocabulary i guess um that's great that you've been doing some co-writing on it it is hard to uh copyright an album when you when you have that many co-writes though I mean, I've been work. Sorry, I've been working a lot. Like, I'm lucky that I've worked while I'm here in a lot of like the music business side of things. So, the stuff that like I work at a booking agency right now, and I used to work at Sony ATV and things like that. So, a lot of the bureaucratic, mundane stuff that I think freaks people out, which is legitimate. I'm just so steeped in it all the time. It's like nothing. So, it's like I just know that when I write a song, it's like put it up on ASCAP the minute it's done, you know? Right. And so like a lot of that. And then once it's there, it's like you're, that you're settled, like it's fine. So yeah, it's like, also, I'm just, just got to jump in. One thing I do dig about this town too, is that I have yet to write with someone who wants to count lines or words or, you know, and divvy up things percentage wise. It's pretty much in my experience, I don't know about mercy, but I think 50, 50. It, yeah. Whatever. Whoever's yeah. in the room and you know, we're in the same room. Sure. But if like I have submitted, if I've submitted, if like I've written 70% of it by myself, I will yeah. absolutely give myself 70%. Like yeah. that's just how it, that's how I like learned to do it at Sony. And, but if I'm in the same room as somebody for sure, split it up. But if it's like, I'm delivering a song to be finished by somebody I'll be like, I wrote 70% of this. Like that's my hook. That's my chorus. Yeah, you spit shined it, so you get a spit shining. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's how I am, and but if I'm in the same room as somebody, for sure, like fifty fifty or whatever. Right. Yeah. I mean, it just it's it's a lot less about you and more about the song. Yeah. You know, like people are just it's the, you know how do we make this good? Not how do I make this good for me? Like you said, it's not right. so much of a 
of a me. I, I definitely have split everything, even if I wrote 70% of it with, with all my co-writers. Um, it, if I'm in the same room... If I'm in the same room, sure. But if I like wrote that and I've been playing it for out and like open mics and stuff, then I'll give myself... I think writers should do that. I've yeah. worked so much in this business and people, artists, don't give themselves enough credit. I would tell that to everybody listening. Like if you do all the like dot your I's and cross your T's and do it. Like if you're in the same room with somebody, yeah, give that. But if you have like written most of a song that you could actually take that stuff out and still have a good song. Like if it's, if you wrote 70% of it on your own, give yourself 70%. Like, and I'm sure like your reps at your PROs and like all that stuff, people, you're like your music lawyers and stuff will like tell you what to do. But just, I'm just saying like going out, if you have like the music memos on your iPhone and stuff like that to like back you up, do it. But if you're in a room with people, yeah, absolutely. Like that's even, you know, and I don't, when I'm in a room, I just surrender everything. I'm just like, I don't care if I wrote that whole song with people with like five people in the room, it'll be equal. But if I wrote it by myself in my bedroom 10 days ago and it's like 90% done, you better be, (laughs) of course (laughs) I'm giving myself 90%. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, and I'm sure that anybody out there who's like studied music business, I'm sure is like, what are you talking about, Mercy? I don't know. But that's just how I approach From everything. From your experience. Yeah, just yeah, how totally. I approach things, yeah. Because um, you can do that, like, looking at splits. When you look at splits on royalties and micro pennies and stuff like that, you can totally give yourself that. Yeah. Yeah, and I think sometimes we, you know, at least in my perspective, I'm like, I'm not going to make enough royalties. Like, my checks are, like, a dollar fifty a month or something like that. I'm like, okay. Like, if it's going to give me 50 more cents right now, like, who cares? But, you know, you never know when you're going to write that song that is, like, a massive hit and it really does start You also don't know. Like, I'm the Sony ATV ATV hour here. Like, I was processing royalties for songs that came out in the 60s. All those those writers are dead, but their kids aren't. Right. I mean, artists have to get out of this idea of, like, me, 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 as in, like, think of it as a business. Like, you're, you're, like this is going down in history. Like when you die, these songs will still be out there for bet. Even if you're like, Oh, this isn't going to be a hit. How do you know? Like, how do you know it's going to happen in 2072? Like if it's not public domain yet, maybe for (laughs) if you're like, I mean, but I mean, you got to come at this with a, with an expansive mindset. Like you can't just come at it from like, Oh my God, I'm such a fuck up. Blah, blah, blah. Like, think about it like in like think i was processing royalties it would take me eight hours to do something just from like some song that was written in the 60s and those people are dead but their kids aren't and like yeah it goes down in their name it's and you're you know like take care of your i would say every every artist like like seal it up you know like don't do this stuff where you're like suing everybody left and right for us for a tune but if you create something like document it you know for sure we kind of connected a little bit about um our guerrilla warfare pr stuff uh how has that been going for you because um as are you signed on a label for this record or is it independent? i'm 100 percent independent yeah Yeah. and so you're going to be doing most of your pr on your own as well yeah um what what has been like the hardest so you've worked for a booking agency Mm -hmm. you've worked for uh uh being doing royalties uh so like what's been the hardest part on the pr front doing it on your own i mean everything's like because i also have a bar job 
Oof. And I'll do, and I, like, part of last year, I was also working catering weddings, and another, I was also doing freelance writing. Like, I'll pay for it all myself. Like, the hardest part is just not having enough time to do things. Like, that's yeah. literally it. Like, I get home at 8 o'clock at night, and I'm like, oh, gosh, okay. Now what do I do? It's literally the time. As long as I know, and, like, I asked you about it, because, like, I've done so much in the in like the past decade of doing music where I don't know anything and people take you for a ride and they don't even mean to be taking you for a ride. They just think they know things and they tell you and you spend money and then the next, th next thing you know is like you just spent $3,000 on somebody who doesn't know what they're talking about. So for me, when I was approaching the PR side of things, which I don't know anything about or I didn't, I was like, I'm not going to spend a dime on this until I talk to like a bunch of people who I trust. So like you were very helpful. I talked to some people who like run some very successful businesses here in town and I was like, they're successful. <laughs> they right. know what they're talking about. And then I talked to like an artist manager who like knew what they were talking about. I talked to another friend who used to work as a publicist and then kind of retired. And the all I found that when people are telling the truth or like giving you good advice. It all syncs up with other people with what other people are saying. So yeah. I've, I just did, that was the hardest for me was like, how am I going to figure this thing out about something I really don't know anything about, but people have been very helpful. Yeah. So. And I think that there is a part of it where it really is who, you know, and established, um, publicists are, are going to have, uh, direct lines to people who can do great things in the media for you and that is something that like we as independent artists may not have we, we may not have those direct lines but we can build those direct lines right and a lot of times smaller um firms that um i and other friends have dealt with they tend to because they have to charge less take on more clients mm -hmm. and the problem with taking on more clients is that um you can't give them all equal attention right. Um, you know, if you're doing uh, 10 a month, you know, you're not going to be able to land all 10 of your clients on the same publications and the same things and stuff like that. And so one of the thing, and the other thing is that their vested interest is only the money that you gave them. Whereas right. like ours is like the blood, sweat and tears that we've put into it and everything. And like, um, I think that, you know, there are ways as um, independent musicians that you can really... Um, grab the attention of people in the media because you're making their job basically all pr is is making the media's jobs easier you're going right here's a story here's an angle mm -hmm. here's something interesting that you haven't heard before and they go oh my god right this will be easy to write this right. writes itself like you just made their job so much easier and if you make it easy for them they're gonna like you and they want to come back and work with you again so that's kind of what i've learned uh after a you know forty thousand dollars of student <laughs> debt and uh the PR industry is uh, just uh, make people's jobs easier. And well, they you were help very you. helpful because, like I said, it's like I won't approach anything now unless I research it, and that's like now, as in 2019. Right. So, uh, talking to you really helped me a lot because I didn't. I it was all new to me, basically. Yeah. So it was very so thank you i appreciate that yeah no problem but it yeah it's it's one of those things where i think that most artists don't know how to get their foot in the door with that kind of thing and uh you, you can really uh i think it's one of the hardest things because it's not tangible like mm -hmm. you hire a publicist and they're going to tell you immediately i can't guarantee anything right. and they can't that's right. the truth they cannot guarantee anything if they can't convince 
even someone that they're best friends with that they can run run a good story then mm-hmm. that i mean that's just you can't always change people's minds so it's hard because you know you just gave them every cent you own you worked extra shifts at the the bar just to be able to pay for this and then they're like oh here's this blog where 100 people follow it yeah (laughs) thank you so much i could have done that myself right well i think that for me is just like i've been trying to see what i can do on my own like we're doing the cover shoot on sunday but i'm like using my friends who were stylists and photographers and things like that so I have learned to like try to come up with this like cohesive design sort of because it right it it fools people into thinking that you're I don't know fools is the wrong word but it does it like fools people into thinking you're like a much bigger operation than you actually are and it's like that has worked in my favor a lot just like yeah the cohesion yeah is the the marketing campaign that's part of like um, this is the way people will see you. That doesn't mean it's one facet of your life, but it's mm-hmm. the way you're showing people, you know, oh, sh- this style makes me think of this kind of music. And then you lead them to the water. They still have to drink on their own. But. Yeah. I mean, we did that cause it's like, I get a lot of comparisons to a specific artist who I love, but it's not really what I divulge? see, yeah. I, I mean, it's like, I, I want to be myself, you yeah. know, it's like, I want to be myself. And so I told that to my hairstylist, who's also one of my really best friends. And he's like, girl, I got you. And it's like, now we're now like those comparisons have stopped. I mean, it's like musically sure. That's fine. It's great. But it's like, I want to create a niche, a niche for myself. You know, yeah. I want it to be like, oh, this is weird and new. Because you can always listen to a wannabe of everybody else. Right. I don't want to be somebody's wannabe. I want to be, have my own room, you know. And so, like, I think we we did we did it, you know. And it's and it's like it's kind of like I always go back to the movies. It's like when Quentin Tarantino started making all his movies, all the he got everybody compared everybody to Quentin Tarantino. Right. And like, I love Quentin Tarantino, so he deserves it. But like then you have all the wannabes and i was like growing up in that era so i remember watching all these movies being like oh okay and i don't want to be that i would i want to be my own artist so and i realized like the photos and like the way you're you're marketing it and and the words you use like that all goes towards like molding people's perception of you even before it even you know the music even comes out so that is yeah that's very true i think and and that's one thing that like you know um would you I guess call yourself Americana in that. I'm realm, starting or? to use the word alt country. That's great. Yeah. Because I'm not country cause I never grew up in the country, but like Brooklyn, yeah. Brooklyn and California and Massachusetts. Yeah. But like my favorite musicians are who are out there right now are people like Jenny Lewis yeah. and alt, which is alt country, you know, um, I'm trying to think of other people, um, that, like Linda Ronstadt was a huge, huge, nobody would call Linda Ronstadt Americana, but you'd call her alt right. country, you know? And so I'm sorry. It is too. I mean, I think it's you, what you touched on before is like, we kind of try to make or create the mercy bell sound. Yeah. And like, that's the hardest thing to describe to people when they go, what kind of music does she play? When I, you know, like tell people who we're working with, it's like, well, she makes her own music. We make, we, you know, we make our own planet in this universe of, you know, what's going on. And it 
kind of sounds like this thing and it kind of sounds it has influences from these you know other avenues but if you're not if you're not making your own thing then you are kind of just copying somebody else and it it shows after a while you yeah. know it shows that you you know and i think like in the studio and in, on the road when we're traveling like all the the artists you know none of them really the only common thread they follow is they make good music right you know well and the, and the thing is that like it's genres are just there to sell records at the yeah. end of the day and it doesn't i mean you have to say it sounds like something you know and yeah and that's the hardest part is like americana is great because you know someone might say that bb king is americana right, and then someone right. might say johnny cash is americana right. and they sound nothing alike you know right so it's a big umbrella i think to be under um to kind of i don't know it's because it's not quite roots music it's not quite folk music folk it's not quite country but it's kind of all of those things too it's, yeah it is i th- i don't mind it's like one of those things i don't mind it when people use it to describe me but i've become very conscious of the words that I use to describe myself yeah, to be a co to like have this cohesive rollout, you know? And so it's like, I don't mind. You can like, I, I play a lot of these like queer country shows cause I'm gay and I, some of the music right. works in there, but I purposefully don't lump myself. I'll join it. I'll accept the invitation, but I don't like label myself that. Does that make sense? It's yeah. like, I want when I, I, I want people to be like, you're a good musician and songwriter, but not like, yeah. I mean, I don't really care about that. I think I'm pragmatic enough to be like, whatever, it's going to get me some new fans. (laughs) But it's like, I want to make people curious enough that like, I don't reveal enough information. They have to listen to me to figure it out. I wanted something to stay mysterious and to get you to like, listen to my music or come to my show. Right. Because if you just like are overly too eager explaining stuff, it, people are like, okay, their their eyes glaze over. Yeah. But it's like, oh, hey, well, well, you know, hey, I keep seeing you at all these different parties, but who are you? It's like you're gonna have to find out. Yeah. So there's a record. Go listen. Yeah, to Yeah, there's it. a record. Yeah. yeah, I think that it pays to be a little mysterious before people know who you are. Well, so. I think people also want to attach themselves to the artist in a way of like like connection and if you are too specific then you alienate some of your fans yeah, too exactly also to it's you know not a popular opinion but a lot of people who quote themselves as being an americana artist i mean kind of in my and this is me speaking not for anyone else in the mercy bell experience um it's like they're not bold enough to be rock and roll and they're too chicken shit to be country. So they just say that, you know, it's like back in the 90s when everybody wants alternative. It's like, what the fuck does that mean? You know, it's like you can't say what it is, but like, you know, and not to say that like anyone saying they're Americana or those things, but like it's yeah. such a huge thing that people can just like it's like a catch all drawer. It's like the junk drawer of music right now where you say you can throw anything into it. So it almost loses meaning when you say it. Um like I almost would prefer to say that Mercy is rock and roll because, like, honestly, just the spirit that she embodies when she performs and like we're up there—it's the most. Well, I think I even mean, rock and roll has changed so much that it's hard to. Because I, you know, when I think of the term rock and roll, I'm thinking like '60s, right? Um, but then a lot of people might be thinking like Hoobastank or right, whatever, uh, Nickelback. <laughs> so it's. I just you know. I see a lot of those categories 
as the same as saying I'm in the beer section of a supermarket. Like yeah. I know I want to drink a beer. It's not liquor. It's not liquor. It's not Coke. It's not Coke. Yeah. And it's, yeah. So to me, I don't have like a, I don't have a strong attachment to labels because I grew up without them because I couldn't like I'm Filipino and I'm white and I'm bisexual and I grew up on both coasts and in New York and in, have lived in Nashville and <laughs> it's like I grew up singing Broadway and choir and I started working I started in garage bands with my friends writing their favorite kind of music which is not my favorite kind of music and I my favorite musician my favorite songwriter of all time is Max Martin the pops the pop writer so it's like labels are useless to me because people start to like shove you into them so and I know that sounds super cliche but it's like so less stressful to just be like well, what are you, wine or beer? Oh, I'm beer today, but I might be wine tomorrow. So like, Right, totally. Yeah, so this album, there's something for, there's like literally every genre is on this within the Americana slash rock world, but it's, there's also a pop song. Yeah. And whatever, like, when people like start to try to whittle me into something, I get, I just like slip over to the other side. I was like, oh, good luck. I understand <laughs> that because on this record, I, I think it's, it's, it's just it's mercy bell right yeah it's and, just gonna be mercy bell and on my record i actually had some fears because i took some leaps out of my normal thing because mostly i've just done like acoustic like mandolin and fiddle and dobro right. and which i love i i love all I that i love but that stuff this new record is like electric guitar after electric guitar and it's pedal steel and it's um you know i have a gospel song and then i have um like you know some barn burner like you know old school honky tonk and then i've got like just like a folk triple a like you know there's yeah. so much stuff on that record that uh it it i was scared that it wouldn't be cohesive but at the end of the day it is cohesive because i wrote it's it and you. sang it all yeah. yeah that's what albums used to be though i mean like you know early rock and roll work records yeah. i mean even as i was growing up they just encompassed everything you know it would just be you would, could tell what it was because you'd hear the artist's voice and not like their voice, but like what their sound. Right. Um, and you would have kind of what Mercy's doing where she wakes up and she's like, this is what I'm feeling today. This is the song I'm writing today. It comes out like this. It still sounds like Mercy Bell. Like the the pop song that we have that's like the poppiest thing yeah. versus the the song that we have with like pedal steel on it that's like, a, you know, very country sounding. They still sound like the same artist. Yeah. Um, right. even though the instrumentation the arrangements could not be more different and circling know? back around you were saying like i think this is just a rock and roll record that sounds like something that the stones would have done in the 60s you know exactly. like where they had yeah. like some song that they would consider blues mm -hmm. uh, or they might consider country and and then they have their pop song that got on the radio and everybody just called it rock and roll so it's yeah it's it's very like more of a feeling type thing or and even more so because <clears throat> uh, the streaming services have taken over all you know any kind of like um purchasing power at all and i think that uh because of that there's like so much genre bending you know mm -hmm. we've got old town road is the number one song for the longest ever on billboard that's so great hot too. 100 just you know i think yeah it's kind of like once you build something up you've got to burn it down yeah. right away not right away but but also, like, I find that my favorite artists, like, even if they go off in another direction into something completely, like, what are you doing? 
I still I still respect them for doing that because it's like, don't we all want to do that? How many times? And this is just like totally non sequitur, but I'll bring it back. Like I'll be like working at the bar or something, or somebody will start talking to me, and they'll be like, "I wish I could do that." And I'm like, "But you can. Like you could everybody." And that's when I. So it's like, yeah. and that could be for anything. Like sometimes it's about like dating a girl i wish i could date a girl it's like maybe you can date a girl like or like oh i wish i could just move to new york i was like you can just move and of course like everybody has different you know responsibilities and stuff but in everybody's life there's something that you're not doing just because you're afraid totally and i don't care if it's tiny if it's like going to spin class or if it's big like going and like turning full gay you know like it's um which turning is in like you're coming out of the closet, you're finding yourself, it's not a choice, you know. Uh, just for anybody out there who's like, she said it. No, I was like, nope, you didn't catch me, homophobes. Uh, but uh, but it's like, and if I, a musician- I have a huge homophobic uh, audience, <laughs> no, no, by the nope. way, so no, I'm kidding. Uh, but like, and I see that with music, it's like if they want to do it, they should do it. Yeah, I'm very emotionally anarchist that way. I'm just like, do it. If you want to do it, do it. Just like freaking do it. I don't care what anybody else well, says. Yeah, my fear was being a songwriter, yeah, honestly. And, I, and I, I had to do it. And I was always, we were talking about this earlier before you got here. Um, I was always just a side man. And um, I just got to the point where I was like, not, like music still made me happy, but there was something missing. And I realized that like I was always helping other people but i wanted to be the one that was writing the songs and performing them and yep. i was just terrified of it so i just said ah fuck it whatever yep. like what do you got to lose oh i mean i just got to bring up neil young again yeah how many times has some publication said that his recent album has ruined his career <laughs> right or bob dylan yeah and just yeah. you know it's like it's fucking neil young he doesn't care about your opinion right like i remember the album he had about the electric cars you know like almost 10 years ago that came out um, Pitchfork just ripped it apart and I remember reading the review of it and thinking Pitchfork this publication that's been around like shorter than his kid his youngest kid has been alive is going to yeah. dare say that like him taking artistic license to make something that he really believes in is wrong for him it's like that right there should fuel you to make the most freaky out there thing ever, ever. yeah just to yeah. say you know what I'll do what you want. I'll do what I want. <laughs> John Prine has his like first review. I think it was the Chicago Tribune or something like that. And the guy basically just said that he just, I can't even remember exact the exact words, but it was like, it was unintelligible gibberish and blah, blah, blah and all this stuff. And he framed it and he's kept it and he still has it to this day, just like framed on the wall to like remind him that like not everything that you do is uh, necessarily, hey Tim, no, you're fine. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Tim Curris. Um, and that not everything that you do has to be like liked by every... It's one person's opinion. He just has a platform where more people can hear his opinion, you know? Yeah. And, and that was... I, I actually did that where uh, there was a publication that said, my voice won't scare cats. What? And I thought that was hilarious. So I actually framed that. That's, so I have that. In a that's absurd. <laughs> It's like it's supposed to be a compliment, but it's kind of a backhanded compliment. Oh, wow. You know? It won't scare cats, not it will. Okay. So, yeah. But at the end of the day, isn't that what you want, to scare the shit out of some cats? Um, not really. 
I'd rather scare scare that would be off away brand people for that I for don't sure. want to talk to me. There, do you guys watch Shit's Creek? No. There's this funny moment where, <laughs> and I I've been thinking about it all day. Where uh, this guy just keeps asking this like lead character questions, and he's like, "I'm asking you a question," and she's like, "I'm waiting for it to stop." <laughs> and I was like, I was like, that's how I feel all the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I just, it's always a fine line between like making, making whatever you want to make and then being like, I'm trying to be cohesive here with my thoughts. That's the only thing I'm trying to be cohesive about. Um, put it this way. I would have made this album eventually, no matter what, uh, even if I didn't expect to make any money off of it, like, because I already like kind of want to go start taking spin instructor classes to go be a spin instructor and live on the beach. Like I always have like another thing that I'd also prefer to be doing. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like, I was going to make this album no matter what I'm going to make music till the day I die the way I want to. And I'm only going to learn how to make it more the way I want to forever. But, and I don't care if like, if I do release this and nothing happens, I'll be, I'll be like, well, all right, that was like $12,000, but all right, I get to go on to do the next thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I'm going to make music no matter what, you know, however you I want. $12,000 on a car, a car dies eventually. Yeah. Or know, like a grad still... degree in something. Right. Yeah, and yeah. so, but I'm not going to be like, oh my gosh, I'm a failed musician. I was like, I'm, I had a fun time making this album and touring and stuff. I get to say I was a rock star. I'll always make music no matter what, but like there's tons of other things that I enjoy doing also. And music is just a part of my personality. So it's like, it's never going to go away. So like, why would I water it down? It would be like not dating the people I want to date just because some person who has a fancy position somewhere is like telling me not to do it. So it's like, it is a fine line to be like, I'm just making art, pure art for the sake of it. And also being like, I could also make money off of this. So it's like a funny balancing act, but I think it's very possible to strike it. So it's like, why not try to make some money off of this thing that I, you know what I mean? Why not? But I'm not going to get all like, I'm not going to get all like, my life is ruined about it, you know? Yeah. So I don't know. It's a weird, it's a weird balance to strike, but I feel like I'm in an okay level right now surfing that. So, so where are you going next with, the after, once you release the record um what's the next phase are i'm you doing planning some a tour like a solo tour in november just around like la new york san francisco boston like places that um like i'm gonna like i've played there before and i have some really like yeah some good uh what's it called contacts and stuff and a lot of friends and family and stuff um, I saw that you played with uh, Eric Bolander somewhere. Yeah, in uh, in uh, he was on the show. Louisville, Louisville. Louisville. Yeah, Where'd he's you play? awesome. Louisville at the the Odeon, which is a great, great venue. Great That's awesome. Yeah. I feel like they are going through something right now. I thought I think I saw something like that. The neighbors were complaining, and they had to like make everything. They had to unamplify everything. So they're only doing like that happened at the acoustic. mag bar as well. I'm it, wondering if like a lot of people in Louisville are complaining about live music. I know. And I, it made me sad because it's like it's like the greatest probably top five greatest shows we've ever played. Really? It's like the best. The great town, like great venue. I, so I'm, I'm wondering what's happening. Maybe by the time this is up, they will have like won their city council. I mean, similar things are happening in Nashville right now. Yes. Where, I mean, it happened in Austin when I was living there where 
you had this row of venues. They put up condos, and then two. Years I remember later, hearing about that. People yeah. were complaining, and, and they, like, they start shutting down venues because yeah. some you know honkies with money move in and they want to watch a movie at nine o'clock at night when there's a show across the street. You know. Yeah, I, I remember uh, going to Austin for the first time, and this is a very different experience from Louisiana. They had to shut down by midnight mm-hmm. uh, at a lot of the venues, and so we're like, that was great. Oh, they must be taking a set break. We'll, we'll catch the next set. And then nobody ever got back on the stage, and we're like, what, what, what the hell? It's only midnight, you know? Like, yeah. such a strange thing to me. But um, Espe- I mean, especially when those places have existed for years before. Yep. Yeah. You know, it's, you know... It's a weird time. Like, but why move to Nashville if you're not going to accept the music? Like, that's just a question that I have to the new people moving in. Just like, don't complain about this stuff. Right. Don't, just don't do it. You're not allowed. Well, how about you play a loud song for us? What uh, song would you like to play? Um, uh, this song is called Skip to the Part Where We're Together And it was written by me and Trace And Abby Hairston and Megan McCormick I know I wasn't what you anticipated And I know that I made things complicated So did you And so did you think about me when you sleep aside and do you think about me when it's late at night I do too yeah I do too cause all I wanna do is just skip to the part where we're together can we skip to the part where we're together these games are getting old and new lovers leave me cold can we skip to the part where we're together can we skip to the part where we're together these games are getting old and new lovers leave me cold do you wish it was me at every party was it like a sonic boom when you first saw me yeah me too i felt it too am i the one that got away when you sit beside me are you afraid you're gonna die before you get to try me why don't you yeah why don't you Cause all, all I want to do is just skip to the part where we're together. Can we skip to the part where we're together? These games are getting old and new lovers leave me cold. Can we skip to the part where we're together? Can Skip to the part where we're together. These games are getting old, and new lovers leave me cold.
should come be well me that's it for this episode of americana station thanks so much to mercy bell up next we have an off the rails uh, I haven't been off the rails in a while, but we have Anna Lee. She's a DJ at WMOT. She's been a DJ at Lightning 100. She's been DJ several times in California. She's so insightful, uh, incredibly sweet, amazing, uh, amazingly supportive to local music here in Nashville. She's been doing the local brew at the local uh, here for uh, a few months now, I think six months. And uh, we've got a lot more cool stuff coming up with her at uh the local brew we get to talk about that and her career and um uh, what she how she picks out music um it's just it's a great and informative episode i'm really excited for all of you to hear about anna lee uh she is a mover and a shaker for sure here in nashville and i'm so thankful for her to come on the podcast um i have been writing new songs a lot of new songs and uh i would i'm really itching to put some of those videos and uh demos out on uh, patreon so uh if you go to patreon.com slash will Payne harrison um and become a patron then we will uh get some of those new songs out to you uh, as well as additional uh, podcast stuff all sorts of special things so uh, make sure you go uh, become a patron there um check out living with ghosts my new record been out for about two months now if you haven't had a chance to check it out it's on spotify under will Payne harrison it's on apple music it's on itunes it's on amazon um you can pick one up at a show uh speaking of shows i'll be playing at folk yeah fest down in orlando i'm playing twice well three times i'm playing with Stephen dunn um playing bass for him and then we're doing a duet show and then i have my own set a lot of cool uh guys um Zach Williams from the Lone Bellows coming. Rocco Wheeler, my buddy from here in Nashville, is going to be playing. Uh, so many cool guys are going to be playing. Jordan Foley. Uh, I don't even. I, I can't even get into it. There's too many people. Um, of course, Mike Dunn. Uh, so, if you're in the Orlando area, please come check out Folk Yeah. It will be November 29th and 30th. Uh, thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time with Anna Lee.